I'm Damien Valentine, and check out Air to the Empire. I'm Tracy Harwood, and I'm academic. Ricky, grow. <laughs> Hi, my name is Phil. Hi, I'm Phil Rice. Perfect. That's all we need. And um, welcome to and now for something completely machinima podcast. Um, I'm Tracy Harwood. I'm one of the hosts, and I'm here today with Ricky Grove, Phil Wright, hey. and Damian Valentine. Hello. Still running away from the paparazzi, I'm sure. Yes, I've <laughs> hidden my location with this green screen. Thank you. Perfect. That's really, really appreciated. Yeah. Um, now this month we've got some really, really great picks for you. Um, some are made in Unreal. Uh, we've also got a Half-Life 2 pick and a No Man's Sky pick. Uh, and we're right. really excited to talk to you about all of these. Um, uh, but also, we've also got some other projects that we'll share with you on our blog and some news updates on the, the technologies um, that we've been covering also on the blog, some, some general texts and also a few updates on the creative eye genies that, that we've been following. Um, mm -hmm. Ricky, I think you've got um, an update that you wanted to share before we get started. Yeah, I uh, my I, I love ultra wide screens, um, mostly because it for the work that I do, the graphic arts work, because it the wide screen allows me to put pages uh, together, three large pages, and that way I can move back and forth easily. But it's also pretty cool for gaming. But it, it died, and so I did some research, and I came up with a really good four hundred dollar ultra widescreen um, monitor by Gigabyte, which is unusual because Gigabyte isn't known for making monitors. You know, LG and, and other companies are the ones who do it. So I ordered it, got it, and set it up and love it. It's great. Although the difference, a little difference here is that it's wide, it's curved. And I'm still trying to get used to some of the curved you know the the change in the way images stretch a little bit with the curve you keep thinking there's something wrong with the settings but no it's not um i've been playing elden ring of course and uh the problem with elden ring is that it the only way to get an ultra widescreen resolution for for 4410 width uh wide is with a mod which is strange because the the game is such an amazing game and it, it's so well coded you think that built that in for ultra wide monitors because gamers are crazy about technology and they love their ultra wide monitor and and it is beautiful when you have it on a big wide screen and also movies certain movies you can watch on an ultra wide screen which is great but uh, the mod you get you can use to fix the Elden Ring is available for free we'll put a little link to it if you're interested in that however you have to do a couple of things which are a little frumpy one is you have to disable the anti-cheat mechanism in the game and you have to be offline and uh, i worry that i'm going to do that and then forget and go back online and suddenly there they go wah, wah, wah. you're using a mod you're banned you know that <laughs> can't do that but in any event, I'm really happy with it. We'll put the link to it. I can't remember the the 
you know, they have such odd names, numbers and names and letters and everything, but it's by Gigabyte. It's an ultra wide monitor. It's really new, good reviews, about $400. And it's excellent. Really like it. Brilliant. And, it's and, a really good price for an ultra wide, Ricky. I've, I've looked at those uh, for myself and for customers too. And 400 is a great price. My goodness. Yep. Yeah. And it, and it comes, I'm amazed with what it, it comes with HDMI cables and three different power adapters, depending on whether in Europe or Asia or the United States. So you can plug it right into, you know, whatever country you're in just fine. Nice. And all of it's free because the HDMI cable itself is 20 bucks, 25 mm -hmm. bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's cool. Awesome. Hey, Phil, I wanted to ask you, excuse me, uh, Tracy, no. I wanted to ask you, you were talking about wanting to have a brief discussion of the actor strike. Did you yeah, still want uh, to do that? I really just had, I, I, I kind of thought about how to keep it as brief as possible. And uh, it really just boils down to one question. Like whether we're talking about the actor strike or the writer's strike, uh, when, when someone is a member of, of, you know, that union or guild or whatever the terminology is, forgive me, I'm a dunce on this, but uh, when there's a strike going on, does that basically mean that that someone who's a member of that union, they can't work at all without violating the terms of that strike? Like whether or That's not right. the work they take is freelance or for union contracts or non-union stuff, but they're expected to just not work at all. Is that right? Well, the legal definition is that's right. They they can work. However, in practice, people don't cross. Most people don't cross union lines because then they're labeled scabs. However, right. they do take freelance work that's non-union, although that's technically wrong. But people do it anyway because they have to eat. Yeah, yeah. That's that was my thinking. Is okay for for big stars who have a you know a big nest egg you know, going however long weeks, maybe months without work is maybe not that big of a hardship. But for your average person who's, uh, you know, just a freelance writer or an actor, um, that could be devastating. And I was just yeah. I was curious how how that's coped with, because this isn't the first such strike there's been. So people fudge it. Yeah, people fudge. OK, it. OK. Um, I'd like to say quickly that the this is a very significant strike because it's about just like past strikes by any labor organization, it comes usually after a technology change. For example, 1981, one of the biggest strikes in the Writers Guild history had to do with residuals for television back in the 50s, because television just started to become a big market. And I, I'm astounded that they didn't do anything, have negotiations about it before it became big because you could see it was going to be a huge thing. Well, in this, by the same uh, token, this uh, strike is about technology. It's about streaming technology and about the upcoming AI uh, use of AI and generating actors images. Now the actor images AI thing, it's gotten a lot of press and it's a bit overblown because that technology really doesn't exist. It's much too expensive. And the legal issues of it are fairly cut and dry. However, the streaming services are much more serious. For example, there was a, a large, uh, long series of articles on most of the actors from Orange is the New Black series, which was a huge hit. Well, on Netflix, one of the major stars who had a large big contract uh, on the television series uh, ended up getting something like four bucks 
oh. in residuals yeah. from Netflix. And so they they started asking questions, you know, why is this right? And they couldn't get answers because it was the per perfect scenario for a, cor a corporate um, uh, a company in that the way these things are determined are so ambiguous and so multi-layered that they can they can hide things. They can, if, especially if they if if their goal is to make more money for themselves and screw everybody else, um, they can hide stuff and keep people from knowing. So the strike now is for renegotiating those terms so that they're more favorable and they're more like residuals for television. That's what it's about. And the large corporations don't want to do that because their bottom line is money, not the ethics of the situation. And it's a shame because if, if both sides would compromise, they could come to a conclusion pretty quickly, give a decent residual ways of money for streaming services, but, you know, make sure that it's not too much, but they don't even want to do that. And that's the problem. And that's why the actors are on strike and they'll stay on. I predict this will be a long strike because wow. they're not going to give up on the streaming services. The streaming services are only getting better and better and better. Yeah, there it reached a kind of, of um, what's the word, a kind of a point where there were so many people using streaming services, they weren't advancing much mm -hmm. anymore, but that's passed and they've moved on to another level of it. Um, plus, it's complicated by the fact that many of the streaming services are also production companies, which I think might, down the line, result in a lawsuit separating that ability so that they can't determine, they can't be the company that makes it and then also determines how and streams it. It's just like the old vertical integration back in the 50s for the, th the main uh, uh, studios like Universal owned all the theaters. Well, the Supreme Court and made a huge decision, cut all that out. They had to separate all the businesses. So that's it's it's a big deal, and yeah. um, I'm with them. I'm in in favor, but I do think there should be give and take on each side. But I don't think that's going to happen. Incidentally, anyway, not not to overcomplicate things by recommending a streaming show. But oh, great, if, if any of you watch the Netflix original series, Black Mirror, it the new season of Black Mirror, I think it's this season six, the very first episode uh, deals with in a kind of science fiction-y context, uh, taking this whole notion of using a combination of AI and a quantum computer and digital persona of a celebrity appropriating their image and actually oh, buying it and then using it it is extraordinary it's also very entertaining and very funny but the, the very first episode of season six is called joan is awful and it's <laughs> and it's about a well let's call it a netflix this is a netflix show about a netflix type company with a very similar logo called streamberry that this girl comes home from work one day and there's a show on Netflix starring Salma Hayek, but with her hairdress, her hairstyle. And it is her life from that very day. Oh my goodness. 
And basically they go into how that all happened. And, and essentially it has to do with the data mining that happens with our phones and computers and the listening that people are paranoid about on phones and, and Alexa devices and things like that, that they appropriated all this from a consumer and then produced the show and AI produce, produces the whole thing. Yeah. It's fascinating. This, this, this season was released maybe a, a couple weeks before the strike. strike. Began. Wow. What an interesting, I don't think there's necessarily a cause effect there, but it's interesting timing because yeah. it really does show yeah. just how bad it could be. Yeah. If you're not familiar with black mirror, black mirror is like twilight zone, except almost every time everything goes horribly wrong, like as bad <laughs> as it could. Yeah. Twilight yeah. Zone wasn't yeah. always that way. Yeah, this yeah. one is, yeah, it, and it's always technology themed, so it's very interesting. But that one was just cool. so it's, on the money. So I, I recommend checking that episode out. It's not quite as in depth as that, but the new season of Futurama has just started as well, and mm -hmm. the first episode of that deals with the fact that they've been cancelled and renewed so many times over the last twenty years. They decided to make a whole episode poking fun at the way TV shows are made, and some of the things they bring up in that. Uh, so spot on with what's happening now even though this would have to be written at least a year ago because of all the, the time it takes to animate an episode like that um, sure and, and i just i watched it and i thought this is so topical yeah, i, I think, feel like this stuff this stuff has been bubbling up for a yeah. while yeah. no it's been bubbling and, and up the, for the years strike is years. really just just kind of a break point of okay now it's time to to take a stand and do something about this. So well, um, there's also the side note on the legal aspects of AI generation, because courts haven't ruled on any of that yet. Right. There are multi lawsuits going on, and you know how slow it takes to mm. a lawsuit like that to get. So it's going to be another year or two before some sort of legal standards are set. Right. Um, I I heard we might get the outcome of the first. Uh, you know, the copyright office is. Um, some of the discussion that's going on there i heard that we'd probably get it before the end of the year uh but you know how that would be encouraging well be faster it, it, than i would guess yeah that's well, good that's, that's my understanding so. but we'll see yeah. how that unfolds so it's it's really interesting times to see how sure this unfolds i think yeah all right shall we move on to our uh first pick well hang on before we do that let's just take a moment to remind people what phil's been working on phil do you want to just fill us in on the machinaplex project yeah the uh, machinaplex collection is what we're calling it uh, is a upscale slash remaster slash revival of some hand-picked uh great machinima films from machinima's great, first decade stuff. Uh, stuff i mean there's stuff from the very earliest days 1998 or so all the way up through about 2008, I think is the most recent uh, picture there. And, you know, it, it's it's just a hand-picked selection that, that we actually did back then uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, you know, 2006 to 2008 is when these were selected and assembled. Right. And now they've been upscaled and revived, and there, there's a Vimeo collection. Uh, the URL will be in the notes, but it's a fairly easy one to remember if you wanted to just get it from listening here. It is bit.ly, which is B-I-T dot L-Y slash Machinaplex. And Machinaplex is, is, well, it's spelled like Machinima, except it has Plex on the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, that is up. We've got a trailer that's out for it, which uh, I've pushed out on 
a couple different platforms now, including Instagram. I TikTok. put it over on TikTok. TikTok, it, it got about 800 views in, in a day. Cool. Which is amazing. <laughs> um, and that, cause that's, that's Self. probably not filled with an audience that would have ever seen any of that stuff before. You, you know, that was probably me trying to figure out how to use TikTok. Just playing <laughs> yeah. it over and over. Well, and over 800 over. times. Oh, come right. On. Right. Anyway. So, um, yeah, uh, that, that's where that is at. We're going to have links to it all over our site and blog, but, uh, if you want to jump straight to it, it's bit.ly slash machineplex. And there's about 25, somewhere between 25 and 30, just really solid pieces of work over there uh, in the best quality that we can manage. And, uh, you know, based on the the limitations of how they were originally made. Um, but it's just some great work. And I, I guess I want to contextualize it as such. If you listen to this show much, you'll hear us critique stuff that we, you know, stumble upon, films that we stumble upon nowadays. And if you've ever wondered what the basis is for that critique, what we're comparing Machinima to, we're not comparing it to stuff we go home and watch on Netflix at night or Hollywood, this or that. What we're comparing it to is what we have seen achieved in this medium with far greater number of limitations than we have to produce stuff today. And I mean, some of the, when, when you see the stuff in this collection, some of it really is mind blowing. That when you contextualize it with when this was done, it's 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 hard to believe, really. Um, that's what we're comparing it to is the the careful, deliberate, and 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 artistic approach uh, that people used in machinima and use in machinima when it's at its best. That's what we're comparing stuff to. Even if we don't reference those films specifically all the time. We've seen that. And so when we see stuff now, we can't help but way, you know, that's that's what forms the basis of okay, what is possible that's a in good this point. medium. So if you're interested in that and in, in seeing some of these you would never guess were made then. Like some of them, if they were released tomorrow, it, it would fit right in. It's just so good. Um yeah. not just in terms of story craft, but in terms of visual craft. Uh, Lainey Voom has a couple films in there. She's this mystery woman that no one knows where she is now, but she was absolutely one of the one of the greatest artists to ever use this medium. Yep. Um, and there's there's tons of of other selection, a wide variety. There's some comedy. There's some drama. There's some stuff that's just pure art and poetry. Yeah. There's musical things. It's beautiful. So I encourage you to check it out. That's awesome. We'll make sure so, we have the link in the uh, show notes for this episode. Yes, absolutely. But bef there's one more thing before we move on, because I know you've been working on this for a little while, which is um, a showcase of some of Hugh Hancock's work. And on the 4th of August, before this episode, the first episode that we're going to be talking about in a minute, um, the, the film that we're going to be talking about in a minute goes out, uh, there's a trailer to Bloodspell that's going to be released or has been released on the 4th of August. And then on the 11th of August, Phil, you've got a really interesting response that you made to uh, Bloodspell and all the hoopla around it at the time. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so I, I've, I, I wanted to have some build up leading up to um, when we showcase uh, Hugh's work. I've set up a similar type of destination at Vimeo that has all of Hugh's major machinima works 
upscaled and remastered, if you will, um, and and available there. But the the main feature film, Bloodspell, uh, I, I really wanted to have it be in proper 16 by 9 and 1080p and put it on YouTube where it'll get the, the most possible um the largest possible audience that it can because it's I, I think it's it's a terrific piece of work um I, I full disclosure I worked on the sound on it and some of the music on it so I'm not uh without a dog in this race but it's a good film um and it's it's very entertaining and uh I think he considered it his his uh great greatest achievement or great one of his great achievements um so yeah on August 4th uh, is the trailer was the trailer uh, the week after that is a, so I was doing a podcast even back then uh, called The Overcast. And when Hugh was first promoting Bloodspell, Hugh had a lot of bravado. He was not shy about his opinions. He lacked no confidence whatsoever. He spoke big, everything, you know, if, if, if Hugh were a state, he would be Texas. <laughs> you know, we're just everything is big and the best. And, you know, we're the first and this is the greatest. And and once you got to know him, you, you, the interesting thing is underneath all of that, he's a very humble man. Mm -hmm. He was a very humble man. But you'd never know that from his public persona. You'd think he was the most arrogant SOB you'd ever met in your life. Yeah, John Purse and a big, uh, you know, mega yeah. megaphone there. That's just how he promoted his work and and uh it's just the the character that he assumed when he did that well a lot of people in the what was then the machinima community naturally uh you know got feathers ruffled by that and you know how how can he say these things you know it's not the greatest this the greatest that whatever and what it reminded me of was uh an earlier incident that happened decades earlier with the beatles where john lennon in a press conference, just speaking off the cuff, said, you know, by my reckoning, you know, the, the Beatles are greater than Jesus Christ, talking about how many people are into the Beatles and how fast the, the you know, Beatlemania has grown. And of course, you know, people were repulsed by that and there were record burning ceremonies and all this stuff. And he had to backtrack and apologize. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of where he's put himself with this in a much smaller context. So I did a fake press conference on my podcast. <laughs> highlighting a comment where he said blood spells bigger than Jesus. And then all his cohorts uh, is his fellow uh, members of strange company are scrambling to explain his remarks and stuff. And it was just an audio form and it was just on a podcast that was probably heard by a hundred people. And that was it. And I uncovered that when I was going through and gathering together all the stuff about Hugh and used a little animation software to just quickly put together this kind of silly uh, animation of that same audio. So that's going to be the week after the trailer. Cool. Um, and people get to experience that. And I've even got a little bit of explanation for it um, that uh, is available as well. And then, so two weeks after the trailer on a Friday will be the, the re-release of uh, his, the movie Bloodspill in full. The greatest movie ever made. The greatest movie ever made in any medium ever. Excellent. That's yes. amazing. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to. However, let's move on to the films that we're going to be talking about uh, this month. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed that little bit of um, 
backtrack from us uh, and let's move on. Um, now, super ironically, I think, and weirdly, three of us this month have independently picked films which have a bit of a dream theme to them. <laughs> true, true. Which is, which is amazing, I think. I anyway. blame Bed Bananas for that. <laughs> Indeed. Totally. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll start with this week's pick. Phil, I'm going to hand over back to you, actually, on this one. Um, do you want to start us off with your pick? Sure. Um, Mine is a a nostalgia pick of sorts. Um, I found it while kind of hunting for stuff related to this Machine Plex collection that we're talking about, because this was made in that same era. It was made about 14 years ago by a guy named Mistfit. And it is a, it's a music video for uh, What a Day for a Daydream by Love and Spoonful. I actually don't know how, at 14 years ago, I don't know how he got away with releasing this. Nowadays, it would yeah. just be, it would be absorbed into YouTube's monetization thing and it wouldn't be a big deal. How he got this done back then without a copyright strike, I don't know. But it's an amazing piece of work. It's made in Half-Life 2 um, or maybe Gary's mod in, you know, as well. I, I, I'm honestly yeah. not sure. When I saw it back when it was released, I, I have no idea. Like, I guess I have a general idea of how it was made, but I don't know how they pulled it off. Like, it's it's really something. It's a one-shot video, as far as I can tell. Of a man walking through a street, lip synced singing the song, and all this action is going around on around him and behind him, and and it's it's extraordinary. And he's oblivious um, and it, to it. Yeah, yeah. He he's walking through it, basically just not paying any attention to that while the world is basically falling apart uh, around him and getting progressively uh, and, worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, with explosion sounds and all this, sometimes the explosions dwarfing part of the song at points. And it's just amazing. And uh, it just it's such a nice contrast uh, between this song that is kind of, you know, nostalgic and dreamy and, and happy sounding with this war torn background. Um, in the end, it it makes it hilarious, uh, but in a way that you don't you don't get the feeling that it's trying to be hilarious, but it is because of that juxtaposition of of different things. So I had seen this back when it got released. I was wowed by it then. I stumbled upon it while looking through some other videos that came up in my in my feed, and thought, yeah, let's revisit this one because it's not part of that collection. It's largely forgotten, I would think. Um, and it deserves to be remembered. It's a good one. What did you guys think? I thought um, I loved it. And of the other films we've chosen this month are much more, much newer. This looks just as good as these other picks uh, made with more modern games and more released more recently. And I think that's a testament to the quality of the film and the Half-Life to uh, Source Engine uh, because it just it looks so good now. And I looked at the date. I thought I can't possibly be fourteen years old, but it is. And <laughs> yeah. um, that, that impressed me. I really liked the way that it was done. It it looked like a one shot thing, but if you look at the end of the credit, when the it fades out, some text comes up about the making of it, and it says the singer died twenty seven times. 
<laughs> See, I couldn't luck. tell if that meant that there was that many takes and they stitched or if <laughs> it took, tw it's like a Rube Goldberg machine, right? That you, yeah. you set it up, but it doesn't work. And the one time you get it, well, that's the one you release. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of felt like it was that, that it was, they had to try it at least 27 different times to finally get it. Cause there's some elements I think of that chaos that are random. Yeah. Like, would, you know, the way the explosion blast damage is going to work and all that. So it would yeah, be fun to amazing. see a blooper reel of the times where it went wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, agree. That's a really good pick. Yeah. Ricky, yeah, I wanna... enjoyed it very much. Um, I thought that the technic, technique that he used was very difficult, especially using the, I believe he writes in the comments to the film on YouTube that he used the Half-Life 2 hammer engine, is it? Hammer tools. Anyway, they're the tools. He used the tools to create the uh, pathing for the uh, main character to walk. I, I also like the fact that he took a fairly, uh, fairly popular trope of the singer in music videos walking while stuff happens around them and behind them, but, but added enormous amounts of irony because here's this person out for a daydream and you usually think daydreams are out in the, in the, the fields with flowers and in the woods and stuff. No, no, he's in the middle of a goddamn war between <laughs> gorillas and the fascist government. And he's just out daydreaming along while all this chaos and stuff. So the irony of that makes it so funny. Such a great idea. It was very impressive. It was funny, but also as you added, there's a lot of meaning to it as well. The irony adds meaning to it. That's one thing I like about your picks, Phil. Your picks, you usually, because humor is such a strong, important, important part of your, the way you look at the world and how you like uh, drama and films and everything. But I love the fact that you oftentimes will add that sort of darkness or that irony underneath, that biting irony underneath. That is so intelligent and funny and smart. I always like the choices that you make that hit it like that. That's just great. So this is this is a really, really fine choice and excellent film. Everybody should watch it. Absolutely. I mean, I really loved it too. I mean, I, obviously I picked up on the, you know, the uh, having died 27 times making the film. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, that shot just to prove it absolutely hilarious but you know what i was going to do when i was when i was sort of watching it i was going to critique the the sound design on it actually because you can hardly hear the song over the raid that's going on around the character times but of course that's the whole point of this video it's not a yes. music video it's a carry on regardless daydream in this that's right post apocalyptic kind of world where nothing matters any more than the the any more for the kind of the lead character even though the world is doing its very best to drown out his daydream. Yep. Uh, and also, this is I think this is the irony bit that I just love. This guy is a singer and a performer, and he's looking at that camera no matter what goes on around him, <laughs> and, no, and no matter where it is. So, so rather than kind of being a music video, it's actually a really clever kind of observational piece. And you know what? Even though this is 14 years old, it's also a contemporary picture of what people... Um, uh, do now um, nice. with this kind of stuff in hmm. in in the most inappropriate scenes 
I don't know about you, but I've seen far too many YouTube shorts of people doing dance challenges or filming in the most absurd environment they can, like, I don't know, the middle of a five-lane motorway or in front of a wild bear in Yellowstone or kind of teetering on the edge of a cliff edge or something. Um, clearly just to post it up on YouTube. Um, so there you go. I think um, Machinima here has beat all these idiots uh, to it. Uh, and how funny and what a great pick. Yep, yep. I think the issue of not hearing the, the song as much as you might in a, in a regular video is ameliorated a bit by the fact that the song is so classic. Mm. Everybody has heard this song, whether you know the name and the group, because it, it's played in everywhere, grocery stores, dental offices, you've heard it relentlessly. So the iconic status of it makes it that you already know the song. So it's not as yeah. if it's a new song. I totally agree. I think that's exactly why it works. It's because the song has such familiarity, you can be pulled away from it and brought back and you, you're you okay with it. If yeah. it was a new song of some kind, uh, that would be bad form. But yeah, no, I think that's exactly why it worked, Ricky. That's right. Great. Brilliant. Awesome. It's real. I'm glad that we're looking at Half-Life 2 or any Half-Life videos, because I think the level of difficulty in creating them, good ones, not just throw off stuff, is always interesting to see those people who accept that challenge and then create something interesting. So I urge you, everybody to watch this. It's it's a great yes. example of what you can do with this, with this engine, with some intelligence and skill. It's brilliant. I'll close with this one additional observation that that's interesting about this movie is it's a scripted sequence um this was not recorded live the whole thing is what's called a map file that can be loaded into the game and it will play back in that way probably took him 27 different times to tweak things so that the singer wouldn't die but this is a sequence that runs in the game which makes it not that unlike something you would put together in iClone or Unreal. And you're, other than the fact that there's the game mechanic and the player is a player, you know, it's it's a scripted sequence of events. Uh, uh, that's that's fascinating to me because at, at the time, I'd, it certainly wasn't easy to do or even possible to do something like that with straight up real-time animation tools. Uh, iClone was around, but it was it was quite a bit more primitive. Uh, it, it it wasn't even in the same category of basically it's a professional tool now. Like there's no question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's that much more impressive. But also it's uh, I don't know. I just find that part interesting. It it also kind of harkens back to original Machinima, which yes. was a sequence mm -hmm. you'd load up and watch in the game. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting that this is that's the approach he used on this. Um, if they had tried to just capture this live in some kind of multiplayer setting, triggering all that, oh my goodness, yeah, would have been I, insurmountable. Yeah. But the fact that it was a scripted sequence that he could run and, okay, so it falls apart there. Let's go back and tweak this or make him walk a little bit this way instead. Uh, a lot of a lot of craft went on there. And, you know, technically this was something that uh, Mistfit may have done as a solo project. You know, yeah. those scripted sequences often are, you know. I mean, look at look at uh, you know Damien's show that he does now is is a handcrafted thing, a, a scripted sequence. Nobody can accidentally die in his show, I don't think. But the but <laughs> well, the concept is is similar. Yeah, yeah, right. 
was so, thinking of Friedrich, uh, yeah, Kir- Friedrich Kirchner's um, films that we talked about uh, recently. You know, the one where he created that ad artistic experience in uh, whatever the sandbox environment. One of the was. Unreal Tournament games, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, similar sort of process to to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Good point, Phil. Yeah. Anyway, right. uh, absolutely fantastic pick. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, join us next week. And if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can talk to us at talk at completelymachinima.com. Um, and that's it from all of us. Bye for now. Thanks, Bye. everyone. <laughs>